Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rudder and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters and I am your host on this consistent exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. It's Mother's Day today and I am joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon, the Reverend Rodney Whiteman. Father Rodney, how are you doing? Reverend Rodney, sorry. I'm trying to take away the gender. Hello, my (laughs) brother. Hi, Lindsay. Uh, No problem. Doing all right. Very grateful for the weather. We need the rains. Unfortunately, some of our brothers and sisters are um, are challenged by that. Um, I just got news early on today that um, the Darstorp is cut off. Um, because of flooding and only four by fours can go through. And then there's other challenges in other parts of our um, of our of our of, of the areas that were the raining. But you know, we were warned duly. So mm. that, that's not a that shouldn't be a problem. Mm. And um, but all all around Lindsay, we're doing fine. Thank you very much. And this you guys? Uh no, doing well. Um, uh, just a warm, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers who are joining us and who are absolutely, yeah, they do so much for us. The theme for this week is chosen, just one word. And I was thinking, I was reflecting on, um, I was wondering, I was hoping to get your ideas of like, what, what does it mean to be chosen? So like, are mothers chosen or are we or is your view that god has pre-decided predetermined look uh, in terms of the of the of the process of conception yeah <laughs> look are you laughing the process of conception when the x and y factors come together uh, he said he set it in motion it's still a miracle to us how they combined and what comes out, out as a result of, of that in terms of gender. Mm-hmm. So does does he now does God sit there and say, okay, this one's going to be an X and a Y, and uh, there's going to be more X chromosomes or more Y chromosomes to determine the gender of the person? Um, we we would, for example, look from outside a social sociological perspective. We uh, we would say. You know, the world is a bit unbalanced when it comes to uh, gender. Uh, is that a problem for us, for example? You know, the fear that there may be too little men for too many women. And so what what does that uh, realize around the, 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 the population and all of that kind of stuff? But it's still a mystery how these things happen. How God, uh, did he just say, this is the process, how it comes out, the process that I see set in motion will be determined by it mm. and then does every woman and every man born necessarily end up being a father and a mother does any um, woman and man being born who happen to be married necessarily make good parents mm. uh, does every marriage have to have children these are just some of my own questions to say there is a mystery out there that is way beyond my comprehension in fact, when you when you read Psalm 139, um, David admits to that once he's recognized that God had made him. He said, "These things are way 
too uh, intelligent for my con my con my mental conception. So I I'll stick with the wise David and say, vaccinated. <laughs> I look at the results and I say thank you. And those results that come out where people um, sadly haven't been shaped and formed um, into good people, we must help them find a way to become good uh, people. That's through the redemptive message. That is a very diplomatic answer. I thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, to your questions, I know they were rhetorical, um, but no, no, and no. <laughs> okay, I that, hear you. My personal beliefs. Um, Father, if you could please call us together for the collective prayer. Uh, what's the collective prayer? People of God, um, as you see, um, Lindsay keeps throwing me at the beginning. But as he so uh, importantly uh, indicated to us that it's um, a celebration of mothers um, throughout the world tomorrow. It is the, the sixth Sunday of Easter when this happens. And as he shared, the, the theme is chosen. So I welcome you to this service. Uh, welcome you to this format of, of, of worship and reflection. And I greet you in these words. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, hallelujah. My sisters and brothers, the Lord be with you. And also, our collect for this week is on your screen, so please pray them with me. Let us pray. Risen Lord, you first chose us and now call us your friends. Set our hearts on fire with love for you and one another, that we may live and reign in the unity of the blessed Trinity, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Yes, uh, the collect and the choice verses from the readings are in the podcast description. And today's First reading is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, verses 44 to 48. Um, it begins, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who were listening to his message. The Jewish believers who had come from Joppa with Peter were amazed that God had poured out his gift of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking in strange tongues and praising God's greatness. Peter spoke up. Those people have received the Holy Spirit just as we also did. Can anyone then stop them from being baptized with water? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay with them for a few days. There are many things at play here, Father. But my most important question is, what is the importance of baptism and does it have to be with water? Thanks very much, Lindsay, for, for that. Um, one of the important things to reflect upon is that the material we are using, the documents we are using, capturing the acts of the church and acts of the Holy Spirit and the work of the um, apostles, these were still in the initial stages thereof. And because it was associated very much closer to where Jesus was and the baptism he received, uh, the baptism that John went through. So traditionally, 
water was an important part of the symbolism mm. of baptism. And when we look at the word sacrament, we do understand that sacrament is an out, outside sign, an outward sign. And water represents the, the issue of cleansing and refreshment. And so baptism, uh, we are taught, is this death to sin, the washing away of our sins mm. um, with the inward grace of God working in our hearts and in our spirits and in our minds, in our whole being. And that with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we are then refreshed as those made in the image of God, those made for God. And we know that the Spirit was readily at the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus was confirmed as the Son of God and the, the beloved Son of God. And the Spirit was then to guide him in his life and in his ministry. Now, this passage has a controversy. There are now churches who tend to believe not so much the commission of Matthew, mm. where Jesus said to the disciples after the resurrection, go into all the world, baptize every nation in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have done, done for you, that I have taught you, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. So given that he promises his presence, they then become this missionaries who go out, and those who listen to the message respond, are converted, their families are converted. The, the sign of this committed life then becomes baptism, uh, which reveals the, you know, entry into the, the unity in Jesus Christ. Controversy is, so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So there was many years going where people thought, now this was the right baptism because it was in the name of Jesus Christ, verse, the last verse, and no longer the commission that Jesus sent on in terms of the resurrection. Is there a conflict between the two? Should there now be a baptism only in the name of Jesus? Is that what, what um, was being said here? Or was what Matthew said, because it was spoken in the, the name of Jesus, the commission given, therefore the baptism is still carried out in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why would Jesus want to divorce himself from the Godhead and only claim uh, baptism for himself. So I, I have a real problem with those who believe that this is the new order and that there's many churches who actually pro 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 proclamate that with the result that people who were baptized, even as adults, when the big argument was about adult baptism, mm. um, which I really have problems with because adult and child does not define baptism, but who we are in Christ in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that makes us, because that's the community into which we we become, um, we, which we are, we, the community of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to which we, can, we are part of. Mm. So, yes, water is important. There's they symbolic reasons. The name 
the formula used when you baptize. Um, so we we have had this uh, controversy in that when we ask for godparents mm. of, uh, of babies, then people bring those whom they have uh, bonded with in a special way, including a spiritual bond. Mm. But parents or mothers and fathers are both required to be people who themselves have been baptized and who are confessing Christians mm. um, as a result of baptism and also therefore membership of the church. So when you stand for a child as a godparent, you must then yourself have been able to embrace what baptism is in order to stand on behalf of somebody that you've got to lead and show by your example, by your prayer, this is the way that a baptized person lives mm. as part of the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We bear the name of who God is to us, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. So um, we cannot then have somebody who's not baptized. And we also have problems with people who profess. It's going to create confusion in the family as well. Mm. Uh, baptism, I must say, is and has been for many years the controversy in the churches mm. um, and why people wouldn't speak with one another because we have been struggling to find common ground, but we're finding it in doctrinal stuff and not so much in the person of Jesus where we should be finding our unity. And um, and I know the argument even goes further. Did Jesus ever baptize anybody? Even Paul had that consideration going. But we do know that baptism, uh, according to the teaching we receive, is entry into Christ's death to rise up with him in new life. Mm. All of this is the work of God, creator, God, sustainer, God, uh, re redeemer. So it is a controversial issue. However, Baptism is always secondary to justice mm. and love. If you're going to fight about anything, that's the stuff we should be fighting about and finding common ground with things that can be sorted out doctrinally. Okay. No, I, I understand what you're saying there. I was going to pick up a, a different stick to the one that you had. <laughs> um but there's also another controversy. Well, not really a controversy. Uh, where the so it's it's very specific in the language. So it's like the Jewish believers who had came from Joppa with Peter were amazed that God had poured out His gift of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles also. So it's like to the Jewish mind, the covenant is still the mitzvahs, where it's like the 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 circumcision. <laughs> And then, so like they they know there's there's a, a process to like get God's favor, and now it's like these dudes are just getting it without even like having gone through all of that stuff. So like, oh wow, it's such a magnanimous God. <laughs> I I just yeah. find it I find it hilarious. In I I I I think that this is the point that is trying to be made here more than the baptism. It's just like that changing of ideas around the covenant 
And like that, that's where I, I'm, I'm standing now is where what I was actually asking was, is it still as powerful as that covenant that you are making when you baptize your child? I, I, I certainly believe that, that it is because look, the, the covenant, uh, and, and I think that if, if you read Acts 15, Mm. This controversy is picked up in Acts 15 at the very first parish council or church council meeting that they had when people had gone through this experience. And then the question was, should the Gentiles first embrace the Jewish law before they can be recognized as part of the Christian community? And in Acts 15, you read that after discussion amongst the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, because Paul then came back to tell them this is a controversy and people are causing division or they're really starting out with the divisive talk mm. based on what understanding. And then Paul and Barnabas who went to speak on behalf of the Gentile church said, hold it. The Gentile church, I mean, the, the, the leaders of the church said, after much debate, what we have discovered is that they don't need to go through this because um, in fact, you year, year. What I was amazed was as they were speaking, mm. the Holy Spirit fell upon these people. Mm. So, if the Holy Spirit chose to come upon the people whilst they were still, while He was still speaking, then what conditions did the Holy Spirit seek for? In order to say this person is okay for me to come on to be to come down on and to enter into his life, we make the controversy. The controversy was if they're not circumcised, if they're not following the law of Moses, how can they be full Christians? Mm. And so the, the 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 leadership said no. It seemed good. I love this term. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That this was not a necessity to happen, that what happened for them fully happened for them. And yeah, they so, are part of the community. So my 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 secondary question is then did Peter still need to perform a baptism in this specific situation? Well, it was the outcome of of the of the work of the Holy Spirit within them. Baptism was then a decisive com a commitment into the body of the church, into the community of God. It was your way of saying, I'm committed myself now totally with the, uh, you know, with the resurrection and the death of my Lord. And so I'm brought through, as it were, the Red Sea experience, mm. uh, the liberation. In the full liberation, washing myself clean of the slavery to sin into the promised land. So baptism was the mark of the of the Christian. Um, okay. Whom the Holy Spirit comes upon. So then you, Reverend, so it's the mark of membership. So then you, Reverend Rodney White, you encounter somebody much like me, <laughs> different beliefs, have conversations. We do. We do. Yes. Over a number of weeks. This, there's something that clicks in this person's mind. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, um, which it can be interpreted as. Then do you believe that that person should be encouraged to be baptized? The next step it would be, but I will not do that if the person's 
not really. I I can tell you now, for example, a person can come in from the street, for example. I don't know the person from Jack or Jill. We proclaim the gospel, we preach, we invite people to the communion rail, and we then say, draw near and receive. So that person comes to the floor. I don't come and I say, now, Lindsay, I don't know you. You're not a member of my congregation. Uh, are you baptized and confirmed before I give you communion? When I see you holding out your hands, what do I do? I put the wafer into your hands, consecrate it, and say the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether you understand a little bit of it or not, but when I said, draw near and by faith with thanksgiving receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you heard the gospel being preached there, and your response reveals that you come to them to the what's his name. Do I still need a guarantee that when I give you communion, uh, you on the right page with me? Because I do not know your, the responses of your heart and your mind. Hmm. I calculate that the fact that you're kneeling there without any force or deep persuasion, but that you responding by faith to what was preached, what was proclaimed, what was prayed, what was praised about. Mm. And now you're coming to be blessed through the sacramental life. I could afterwards then sit down with you and say, I noticed you were new, where you come from, a little bit of your background, and then gently help the person into, if you're going to become part of the community, then part of you, the decisive step you will take will be baptism. And this is how we will do so. Because baptism is identification with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And you are saying, I'm part of that, part of a community of the new life because I have received the sacrament that declares I've died and dying to the old life of sin in order to embrace the new life uh, that Jesus comes to bring me, the life, life in the spirit. Okay. And then if the person refuses to be baptized, then you stop giving them the sacrament. No, I won't. If they come and they and they and they want to participate in there, it does create theological issues for me, though. Mm. But I would say, um, is this meal a symbol of grace to the sinner? The sinner who's accepted redemption through the sacrament of baptism mm. and how would the sacrament of baptism relate to the sacrament of communion the two biblical sacraments are the two biblical sacraments are baptism and the eucharist mm. uh, it would then mean that i would have to sit down with that person and say um, i have indicated to you that baptism is important um, you're making it difficult for yourself because based on what Paul said in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 11, mm. that in that community of Corinth, there needed to be serious embrace of, um, of, of, of preparing yourself before you receive communion so you don't pour on yourself judgment unnecessarily. So in other words, can we come lying to ourselves and to God 
and wanting others to buy into the lie that you want part of this life, but you don't want the whole of this life. So somewhere along the line, life does have conditions. Mm. If you want to develop uh, correctly. So, you know, if you are of understanding and that understanding has been brought to you, then, you know, if you choose not to accept it, then I see you at the altar rail again. And this, this time I'm going to bless you. I'm not going to give you the communion. Mm. Because I've given you the chance to, to embrace a deep. If you're making the step of faith, you say, I'm, do, I'm here because I'm responding by faith with thanksgiving. Mm. Then I have to also open up the, the wider understanding of what it means to be a person responding by faith and thanksgiving. Okay. No, that, that, that's quite clear. And it does actually take us neatly to the gospel, which is according to John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. It is the new commandment. So I won't bore you with the specifics, uh, but uh, I'll take you to verse 10, which is, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do no longer, I no longer do I call you servants. Um, then I'm going to skip to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should be should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Father, there's a lot to unpack. All right, I'm ready to learn from you. <laughs> Let's first unpack this specific idea that Jesus is separated, has had chosen to separate himself from the Trinity to become flesh, to die for his friends. These words, I'm just paraphrasing kind of, you are my friends. And then he commands his friends, which is not the way that I understand friendships to work, but that's fine. Let's just start with that. Is there in theology the concept that Jesus made like a, con a conscious decision to split from the Godhead? No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the time along his journey, he makes references to the father. Mm -hmm. And a lot, a, lot of, a lot of the time he actually says, is particularly to those who is his, are his enemies, that, um, you know, they would say he wasn't from God. He had to constantly be the, um, the one to help them understand that he is from God. And he did, did say uh, this whole thing about sending, mm. um, where I'm, I, the, the reason why I came is because I'm sent as the father 
the Father has loved me, so if I loved you. So the source of all of who Jesus is, is in the Father. Mm. And so what he comes to do is that which the Father has um, uh, sent him to do. Um, the word became flesh and, and, and dwelt amongst us, embracing our, our humanity because our creator could afford to do that on our behalf. We could not become God, but God could become us. And so he could embody the um, limited, limitedness, the fragility of what it means to be human. Because if we connect some scriptures together, we find that if he knew how to make every um, piece of marrow and blood cell and put us together, as David said, you know, in, in my mother's womb, you put me together. With, you know, just imagine the divine hands doing this. Um, I think David once said, you knitted me together, pearl and plain, as it were, mm -hmm. you know, putting me together. So God, in that intricacy of, 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 of creating us, God himself could become us. And, and in order to help us to find our, our true selves, mm. which I would say would not be, I, I wouldn't be able to do that all by myself, even though there is this concept of Ubuntu, I'm you because, I'm me because you are you. Mm. There's a bigger you that I need to, um, to be part of. I'm part of a, a creation. I'm therefore part of the creator. Um, you know, I've got to relate there. Uh, all of these are not necessarily transactional relationships because we're not buying and selling anything, but it is a way in which we say it's an it's an action and transactional in the way that it's uh, dependent and interdependent. Um, the 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 nature of the relationship is that whether you, you like it or not, like David said. Even if I go down to hell, Lord, you'll be there, Psalm 139. Mm. So does God ever want to be divorced from his creation? No. And when the creation decided sin should be the way that we divorce, God sent his son. That okay. intermediary. Yes. And he sent him in love. So that that intermediate relationship is the, the is a little problem <laughs> that creeps up every now and again, where it's like, yeah, Jesus is using specific language, saying that the relationship is with him. And through that relationship, there's a relationship with God. Whereas the covenant before that was directly between God and the people. So now, it's a little bit of a tangent. Um, my question is, what death what was on the other side of death before jesus came down and died wow <laughs> but let me take you back um the 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 or the the old testament covenant relationship was not just between god and the people moses and the prophets played the intermediary role between them 
Mm. Um, the covenant was brought to the people via Moses, the liberator. Mm. And so he was then both the, well, he was the cultural leader as well as he was the religious leader. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, he played a very significant role uh, when they had um, uh, set up tents and he had to listen to people's um, heart sores yeah. on the advice that God had given him and, and all of that. So um, there, there, was, there was, as it were, always an intermediary, intermediary between the people and, and God. Now, I lost the second part of your question. Uh, what was on the other side of death before okay. Jesus died for our sins? Like, when what, one, what, about, one, when what, looks, what about the people who abided by the law and the covenant and didn't, like, sway? Like, what, what was on the other side for them? They were faithful to death. Well, let's look at the deaths that, that were died. Um, in some cases, you hear people resting with their ancestors. Mm-hmm. Then you have Moses. Nobody knows who buried them except God buried them according to the tradition. Elijah went up on the horse of um, chariots, and uh, where where would he be? Um, Joseph said, "When you go over to the promised land, don't forget my bones. Let it not stay in the house of of what's them." So very much so, death for those who lived good and well before God um, was the rest of their bodies. The rest to their bodies, their bones were to rest their bodies. Uh, but there's also the indication that they go to be with God. Um, you know, Moses and 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 uh, Moses had, had entered into the space of God. God was on the mountaintop. That was the place that people understood where God was. Mm. So, um, so the indication is 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 the is both. The resting of the of the of the material bones in the soil, mm. and also that the spirit one could say then is returns back to God. If one if one looks if God breathes into man life, mm. where does that life which you and I understand to be the inhaling and exhaling of our bodies? Mm. What happens to that? Where does that go to? Because it leaves the body when you die. Uh, that was a that was a crucial question that one lady asked their children, who kept saying to her, "There's no God that you're talking about. When we dead, we dead." Then she was a nursing sister, husband was a priest, mm-hmm. and a son was a scientist, and a daughter was a, mm-hmm. an accountant, and, and the children would have these issues with their dad because, you see. We want to know the answers before anything happens to us because we want to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to try and make up our thoughts going along the way when we, when we read and see and hear. Now, uh, their mothers stood at bedsides. Their dads stood at bedsides of people who were on the brink of dying and of, of dying. The body is, you can see, waning. And then when they die, something leaves because that body is no longer alive Mm -hmm. and she said well what happens to the spirit can you help me understand if the scripture is correct as i believe that's the message of it life was breathed into adam Mm. in the ezekiel passage there was just bones in the desert 
and then the wings of the four corners of the earth comes, prophesy to the wind so that they can give life to these bones. So scripture has a tradition in teaching us that the, that the body in order to live needs the ruach, the spirit of God, the very breath and wind of God. So you can see the work of the spirit in the, in the Acts uh, passage. In baptism, baptism is death to old life and the birth to new life. And the spirit is there to enable that new life to begin and happen. So, so I, my, my understanding would be that, yes, while the body goes back to the earth, what was given to us to live is received back to God. Now, the earth that God made and took us from belongs to God. And so we're not going to be placed anywhere that God is, has not had his hand on. Uh, but the spirit goes back. And, and unfortunately, you know, there was an experience I had when the dad died. The son wanted nothing to do with the body of his father. Mm. And I said to him, I used, I said, how can you say your dad's body means nothing when that's how God chose to package him? And this package came and we said, ah, oh, his name is going to be Jimmy. We identified him. We don't know the color of his spirit and breath. But we knew, knew Jimmy because of the way Jimmy looked. We recognized him. Mm. Wherever mm. we would be in a crowd, we would know there's Jimmy. Why? Because Jimmy had distinctive looks and a distinctive walk. And his body represented uh, uh, who Jimmy was. Why do you want to discard that? Because that body is still a gift. And that is why we honor God by honoring the ones who died um, and, and, and honor them in an appropriate way through funeral services um, in celebration of their lives lived. But so, is, yes, I'm, I'm listening. This is all along the lines of something that I didn't actually, my, my, my knee jerk when I, I read the theme for this week was to chosen was to break down the idea of um you know that that concept where it's like you learn about what you were you know in a previous life or whatever and it's never like something crap it's it's never mm. like a janitor or like just a normal person who like clean fish or something <laughs> it's always like right. a warrior or you know a wayfarer or something awesome and it, 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 it's that we we want to feel special it's it's a human thing it's human nature you want to feel special and then you start like adding these labels to you to make you feel a little bit special so like it's it's this idea of there's a life force that was breathed into you, and that is what makes you special. And you at you acknowledge that by being like baptized and doing walking this walk. And it's like now you have the, specifically why I asked you what 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 was death before Jesus is 
because like if there was still a pathway to heaven what besides for this passage which is what i believe are the founding this the foundations of christianity of like love one another as i have loved you and if you follow that philosophy you follow jesus's life his teachings his idea about what love is it's universal it's accepting it's it's a beautiful thing um but then we complicate it by like just trying in my mind it's trying to put jesus on too high of a pedestal and then we kind of just like ignore everything else and we say we are special because that dude was the son of god <laughs> <laughs> So in other words we either very good storytellers we are brilliant storytellers people are brilliant storytellers and, but at the yeah. same time very good liars because we can make up stories about ourselves but this... we we do begin to to find ourselves in storytelling because we want meaning mm. what is the meaning and in his book search for meaning ian carrick talks of in search for meaning and starts off with with my search for meaning starts with encounter mm. because inevitably the question is as brown then brown puts in his book origins who am i what am i doing here and where do i go after here these are the three things that of our origins we trying to find out mm. and when we listen to all kinds of his, historical realities um na- narratives of captured experiences to try and find what was the meaning and relevance i mean i still am searching in my mind was it ever necessary for us to go through apartheid and why would god the almighty have inverted commas allowed this mm. experience to be over us for over 300 and odd years who was it going to benefit was it part of his plan so, so when we when we talk about our experience as those who been part of the oppressed we go back in time to try and find why was it all like that why why would god have known and he probably did take the risk and i used the word risk in big capital letters to put us in different views and to show the multiplicity of his creation and the diversity but selfish sin made us believe that we could write a narrative called um me and myself over against you so that that message that that paul says we whilst we were still hostile towards god jesus died for us sin created the the, the narrative of hostility and so our hostilities we turn on ourselves often we turn on others we turn on creation yes and we turn on god 
So when we try and find out where in all of this am I true, is my true identity discovered? Where in all of this, what narrative is going to give me the best sense of meaning about my life? Um, in my narrative, is my story so predetermined that editing along the way doesn't, doesn't happen? Or can it happen because God is loving and forgiving? And so I can edit my life. I can rewrite the story of my past in my present mm. when I make different choices about it. So there's, a, there's a, an idea out there that life is about story. Mm. If, we start, if we start with who I am, that question, of course, makes me explore something bigger than myself. I mean, you and I don't even know our inner world. We discover some of it when we start writing down our thoughts. Mm. We start giving words and identification to our feelings. Do they tell the full story? Our words, do those words have the capacity to tell the full story? But as soon as I begin to ask who I am, I can only do that with my eyes open and recognize, hey, but there's more than who I am here. Mm. If I am finding out who I am along the way, I realize, but I am part of a story. I'm part of a bigger story. What is the story all about? And so I'm going to explore even deeper. Mm. And we obviously choose our resources to go through that way. So then go back to... To the, to the Acts of the Apostles. Here were people um, whom Paul had, Peter had spoken to, and they are identified as Gentiles. So mm -hmm. they have their own story, culturally, philosophically, religiously, politically, economically, and so forth and so on. When they heard them speaking in tongues, because they were those who were listening to Peter's message. Why did that message make such a difference in their lives? What did it connect with? Was there a familiarity between the message that Peter was speaking that so resonated in the depth of their souls? that suggested to their souls, now I found the connection to find what the meaning of my life is. And so the story of God is told in the message that Peter uh, speaks. Why did that resonate with the Gentiles? Why when you and I listen to various people here, sometimes we react because that's not how our philosophical mindset suggests. But then, you know, as the opinion guy, you give your opinion about the story that you want, that you see in front of you or hear about. Mm -hmm. But it's far more than just what you see and hear. It's what you do on the inside in your brain and in your heart and in your gut. 
as you reflect on that story, you chew it through, you're processing it so deeply that you feel in your heart of hearts, you must now express an opinion about it. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? You're connecting to the story you see happening. You, you're connecting with the story you hear being told. And something on the inside that resonates with you, that makes you explore so much more deeper that you are able to say, now I want to share what I've discovered, having listened and having seen, having engaged. So in other words, Carrick's sense of search for meaning starts with encounter. Mm. Mm, and then we realize we're part of the biggest story. Yeah, I, I, I have a response to the one question you asked about, like connecting with your feelings and expressing your feelings, like through writing it down to kind of figure out what's going on inside your head. And um, a lot of that requires a level of honesty that most people are not willing to reach where it's like when you really search your mind and your emotions and your reactions to certain situations, um, there's a lot of bad stuff there. <laughs> like, I don't care who you are, even you, Reverend <laughs> Rodney Whiteman, there's a lot of bad stuff. Um, and you must, you I, I, be, I believe we must be honest. Charged. Yeah, we must be honest enough to, to accept it because it's part of who we are. It's part of what, what makes us. And like in that, like my daughter just finished uh, the Twins of Auschwitz and I was asking her what she learned from the story. Um, just trying to gauge, I mean, she's nine. So I'm trying to gauge how a nine-year-old is interacting with, a little sliver of the horrors that were the Jewish concentration camps while I'm trying to gauge her sympathy for um, Zionists, <laughs> or at least, yeah, uh, for, for Zionism right now. And I make that distinction because of the atrocities that we have witnessed this week in Israel. Um, I, I just want to put that out there. Like, there are a lot of things that that I would that I wanted to communicate with her, but I couldn't obviously do it all at once. Where it's like they could have been anybody. That's why I moved it quickly back to the story of South Africa because if you're talking concentration camps, that was perfected here during the Anglo-Boer Wars, um, and then because the British felt so bad um, because of what they did, uh, they just handed the entire country to a group of very disgruntled, um, well, all the, the country, but without the resources, because diamonds and gold were still mined and shipped to Britain. Um, so there's a lot going on there. So it's like trying to communicate all of that story. And that that's always my my mission is to figure out why people do what they do not why i am in that sense it's more of like 
Why do I react in that way? Why do people who look like me react in a certain way to certain situations? And then discovering the history around that and trying to build that picture in my own mind. And when it comes to apartheid, you asked about whether or like how God could have allowed apartheid, inverted commas. Um, when I encountered in my own personal searching all the great moments of oppression that started in the name of God, I, I came to reject that idea of Christianity and I became the person who I am now with the ideas that I have now, where it's like I cannot identify with something that is so corrupt because it, it's too far gone now for us to make little changes. I try in this podcast to like find little bits of light <laughs> in the darkness of the story of Christianity. Um, <laughs> to kind of move forward. That's why I'm so fixated on this idea of like universal love and acceptance. That is what Jesus was trying to preach. Um, but yeah, I can't sit by that. But I will close off by saying that we should change the idea of chosen because you were not chosen to be a Christian. You chose. The power is with you. And the power to reject certain things is also with you. So I feel it's more empowering to say that we were that we chose and not we were chosen. And that is where I, I would you? Be. Yes. Can I shoot can I shoot you down? Yeah, go for it. Okay. I understand that there is it's not a faith, a philosophy, a culture, a system that manages our humanity that is not being scarred mm. by our choice of destruction. Is that based on the fact that I feel so shattered in my own humanity that I can't seem to embrace wholeness so I continue on my destructive path mm. with anything that comes my way. Sin has so toxified my, my, my mind, my mindset and so on that I could corrupt, I could counterfeit what was for good and make use of it for bad. Was it a good idea, for example, that Constantine in Whatever vision he saw made Christianity the religion of the empire. Was that a good thing for Christianity, per se? Given the development post-Pentecost or, or in, in still in Pentecost, when the, the, that community was under persecution, yet still mm. grew, when the scriptures that they were proclaiming had been so uh, radically placed on their hearts and the events of Jesus and his person that when they testified, again, you're going back to the Acts of the Apostle story, people listened to 
Peter's message. And Peter worked, or the Holy Spirit cho chose to work with Peter in, in, in doing this. So even what we are believing has got its taints because I can't believe purely. Mm. I even have a struggle to have a purity of faith. But that doesn't mean I'm not journeying towards that. Mm. So Christianity does not come unscarred. In fact, is it the religion of scars? Is it mm. the religion of woundedness? Is it not the religion of blood? Is it not the faith of bread broken? Is it not the religion of generous giving? Mm. So, so, so when others chose to go in the name of Jesus to defeat the, the, whoever the enemy seemed to be, um, having a black face, having a different tongue, um, having a different culture, uh, when the Christianization of the world happened, does that necessarily mean Christianity came in any pure form? Well, no, it didn't. It came with scars that humanity in its brokenness um, brought. Yet, those whom it oppressed somehow heard a message in there. Why and how is that ever possible? And they now are probably far more the problems, the very West, Western countries that oppressed us are no longer Christian, as they proclaim to be in the past. So why was religion used to further political gains? Even in our modern-day South Africa, Zuma tried that. Trump tried it. Got together some fundamentalistic um, uh, religious folk and pushed forward their models or their policies that were obviously in some cases being very divisive. Why did the religious voice fall for that? So there are lots of wise, wise and wise, lots of, uh, um, you know, what's the same in, in its pure set. However, a message is proclaimed and people hear. The message could be heard outside of the bar boundaries of Israel, outside the boundaries of the covenant people, a message that resonated with Gentiles. And <laughs> even though they had the experience of the Holy Spirit, people were opposed to their experience. Based on what? No, you must first be a Jew before you can become a Christian. Mm. Right? And so, Africans, you must let go of your ancestors before you can become Christian. Everything about your, your, your faith, your philosophy, your culture is wrong because it doesn't resemble ours. Mm. So we must divide the wheat from the chaff. Um, everything that was done in in the history of the church and the world, it's being repeated now, but in different ways. Mm. The violence may not be there, but the violence of capturing the mind with fundamentalistic viewpoints of scripture. Mm. We even, 
I'm, I'm saying something that main people may not want to hear. We even raped scripture. Mm-hmm. In our, our wanting to understand it, we dismantled it for our own use. And people are so gullible that they do not listen with critical minds. Everything that's done in the liturgy, for example, and drawn from scripture comes not with a verbal response, but with a heartfelt response. If I believe in my heart, God is with you, David, as he is, I mean, uh, Lindsay, as he is with my brother, uh, Muhammad. Mm. I could say to Muhammad when I do meet him, brother, the Lord be with you. That's what we should be practicing out there. Instead, what do we do? We look at Muhammad and the first thing we say is, I've identified him as a Muslim. I didn't identify him as one with whom Jesus is currently with, whom Mm -hmm. God is also protecting as I am uh, asking God's protection upon me. No wonder our world is what it is. What do we choose scripture for? Not for the proclamation of good news and inclusivity. We've preached scripture to have power over others Mm. with words of judgment. I know you don't know, therefore, you're the sinner, I'm the righteous one. We've raped scripture for our own use. But that's the point, you see. You may rape scripture. Scripture refuses to be a victim. Mm. Scripture refuses to be victimized because it comes with the power of God. We have stripped our Lord and put him on the cross naked. Don't let it fool you that he had a little thing around his waist because he didn't. They stripped him of that precious garment and God was naked on the cross. Why? So that he can have shame on him. If the gospel is truly about Jesus, then it's truly about Jesus naked on the cross. Trying to be, them seeking to be, to victimize him. But they failed. And we continue to try and victimize God now. The wonder of it, you see, is whether we claim to believe or not, we all wrestle with the reality of God. Mm. It will not leave us. Does that make him real? He will not leave us. (laughs) Our narratives on a day-to-day basis is part of our lives, even when we abuse his name. Violently. In other words, as some scientists may say, it's written in our DNA. That's why we have an opinion about God. Whether we believe, the opinion says something about our believing God, or your opinion says, I'm not so sure, really, you know, there's too much evidence that says it's not here. You've been looking at evidence to disprove. Something that's in your DNA. 
And Jesus put it very simply to us. <laughs> so you, you're battling with a source of love that you so much want to cherish in your life. And Jesus says, as the Father's loved me, so I pass this love on to you. I'm the conduit. And, and so you have this love. It's ever flowing freely. You know, that's why I think the wedding band is around, not because our fingers are shaped for a round thing, because it could be shaped in any other way. Mm. If there was only love between you and Monique, then it's a straight line. It's like an elastic band. You can either be drawn to one another and there's no tension in the elastic, or you can be drawn away from each other when you disagree. The more you disagree, the tension in the middle gets weaker. Mm. What does the meeting band suggest? If God truly is the Lord of our life, and he was truly the rock and foundation of our life, isn't that what life is all about at the end of the day? When you and I lie on our deathbeds, Will we know we are truly loved? Hmm. And that we have truly loved. This is a heavy, heavy, heavy conversation that could continue into eternity. Um, but I think we need to leave it at this. Um, and if you could... Uh, call some other or highlight some other brief points of reflection in the praise of the church. Thank you, um, Reverend. This was a a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Lindsay. I composed um, because we do not have we didn't have plans and stuff we we should have tried to have early on to give mothers a something. I hope that by giving them this gift of the litany of thanks, they will be able to feel affirmed, those who attend our services tomorrow and those who will be watching from home. So in celebration of our mothers, a litany of thanks. These are extraordinary times. The celebration of our mothers missed and of its official celebration in 2020. And though we have opportunity to do a celebration on a small claim this year, not all our mothers will be able to attend worship in person. At this juncture of our worship, let us stop to contemplate each other. And more especially our mothers with thanksgiving before God, who created mother as the, as the cornerstone of family life. And so the litany. God, our creator, you created Eve as partner to Adam and called her to bear the fruit of the womb. Lord, we thank you. God, our creator, you call us to honor our mother, fathers and mothers. Lord, we thank you. God, our creator, you call mothers to rejoice in the gift of childbirth. Lord, we thank you. God, our creator, you enabled mothers to be clothed with strength and dignity, to laugh at the coming time, to open a mouth with wisdom, to teach kindness, to look after her family well. Lord, we thank you. God, our creator, you call Mary to be the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, caused her with her soul to magnify you. 
with a spirit to rejoice in you, her Saviour, blessing her throughout all generations. Lord, we thank you. So continue to bless all mothers as we thank you and them for ensuring that all children have the opportunity to be formed and shaped into persons of respectability from homes of love and grace. We bless them in your name, the name of Christ, the Creator, Redeemer, and our Sustainer. Amen. Then I want to go to the COVID uh, prayer, which I've um, written a new one since we are in a different uh, phase of the season of COVID. Author of life, savior of the nations. COVID is humbling. Your grace is sufficient. The deaths we mourn. For the recoveries we give thanks. The compassionate care we applaud. For the vaccines we are grateful. For compliance we plead. For the common good we pray. In the healing name of Jesus. Amen. And then as we continue to create awareness, advocacy and activism against gender-based violence, we pray. Lord God, Jesus commanded us to love one another as he loved us. Forgive us when we hate instead of love. Abuse instead of honor. Hurt instead of heal. For your healing love, pour your healing love over and in the bruises, wounds and shame of all victims uh, victimized by violence, which is often led to murder. And fill the hearts and minds of those whose intention and projected narrative, sorry, internal and projected narrative is violence with your redemptive love. In Jesus' name we pray. And so we go to the concluding parts uh, with the blessing and the commissioning. So my sisters and brothers, go now and make a joyful noise to the Lord. In obedience to Jesus, love others in celebration that he loved you. In submission to the Holy Spirit who draws us into fellowship with the Godhead, live in friendship with God. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.